back with me for, I don't know, it seems like about 20, 20th time or something like that, is Jenny Dial Creech with the Houston Chronicle, the Houston Chronicle columnist. And this is crazy because we're, we're actually seeing each other for the first time in, in our interview, but also it's an interesting time in Houston sports because, Jenny, usually there's not a whole lot going on in mid-July if you're a Houston sports fan, but the Astros are the best team in baseball. They're they're on the clock looking for a deal. That could be going on as we're happening. The Carmelo Anthony saga continues. We don't know as we're recording this. I'm sure you and I are both going to be checking for Woj tweets uh, as, as the interview is going along. This has got to be fun, though, if you're a, a Chronicle columnist right now because it's usually pretty slow right now. Yeah, absolutely. Even uh, yesterday when I was deciding exactly what to write for, for um, the paper on, on Thursday – I was like, Astros, or should I write Carmelo? And I, I mean, I could have easily written three different columns, and you can almost pick that every single day because there's so much going on right now. Uh, you can't say enough about Daryl Morey and what the Rockets are doing, and you certainly can't stop talking about the Astros right now because they're the hottest team in their sport. Yeah, let me a- ask you about the Rockets to start with because uh, we're assuming that the Carmelo thing is going to happen. I mean, can we assume that? Because it seems like you've got the Knicks that have – maybe two options that Carmelo has given him, the Cavs and the Rockets. And uh, I'm sort of assuming that this is going to happen and people are going to be hearing this in a few days from now, maybe people catching up to their podcast and listening to this, that that it will happen. And if the Carmelo Anthony thing does go through, what do you think that means for the Rockets? How much does that help them uh, with a shot to, you know, beat the San Antonios and then, of course, the ultimate team, which is uh, the Golden State Warriors. You know, I think when they added Chris Paul, which I really liked that trade a lot, um, I think when they added him, they got slightly better. And and the reason I say slightly is just because of how tough the Western Conference is. So I feel like they were, you know, probably still number three, maybe number two, right there with the Spurs. The Warriors certainly were, you know, still stood above both of those. I think with Carmelo Anthony, they bump up to number two over the Spurs. I just think he gives them another weapon. Obviously, everything has to work out. He has to buy into D'Antoni's system. No one can get hurt. The chemistry has to work. There's all those things that, that come with any trade, with any acquisition. But let's say those little things happen and they work out. I think that he actually fits this system well if he would come here and embrace it. And I don't know why he would want to come to Houston if he didn't want to embrace the system. Yeah, they had a run in Mike D'Antoni and Carmelo Anthony, and, and that's been well discussed. I know in your column you said Carmelo is going to fit in here. You feel like it's going to work with him. And the big the big problem they had when they were in, in New York was he wanted him to play Carmelo to play the four. And Carmelo wasn't interested. And then, of course, right after he left, he ended up playing the four. It worked out well. And you look at the situation and, yeah, if Carmelo is wanting to come here and D'Antoni is wanting him here, it seems like that shouldn't be a problem and it's just a matter of him fitting. And I guess everybody always points to the Olympics and and, and how it worked there. Yeah, and I'm just – I'm a big uh, proponent of look. Like I – I'm going to side with the coach a lot of the time and I'm going to side with D'Antoni here because – when James Harden bought into what he was doing, when Eric Gordon came here and bought into what he was doing, when you got a bunch of guys on board with D'Antoni's system, it worked wonders for the Rockets, and people saw that. So to me, A, I think Chris Paul fits in that system perfectly fine anyway, 
And B, I think Carmelo can see that and can see like, yeah, this will work if I go in there with that mindset. So to me, it works. I I also think that since that time when those two were together in, in New York, the league has already changed so much anyway. Everybody in the West is playing small ball. So you, if you're a Carmelo Anthony, if you're a Trevor Ariza, if you're a guy like that, you're starting to slide to the four, sometimes the five anyway, just because that's the way the game is played now. So I think it just makes a lot of sense. In 2012, um, in the Olympics then, Carmelo played the four and the five sometimes anyway because the team was lacking big men. And he fit in well because it was that kind of Euro-style ball, that fast-paced, a lot of spacing on the court. He can sort of be that spot-up shooter kind of guy. And that's what he fits in well with, and that's exactly what the Rockets are doing. So if he and D'Antoni can get over their past, and I think they can. I mean, they're both adults. I don't see why they wouldn't be able to. I really think it can work. People tend to kind of get over their egos and get over their problems if they're going to win games. And, I, you know, and that's, that's what everyone wants to do. At the end of the day, a guy like Chris Paul, a guy like Carmelo Anthony, they want to ring. They want to win. The fast-paced aspect of the Rockets, everybody talks about that. But is that something that maybe they're going to dial back this year? Because you look at the roster all of a sudden, and you got Chris Paul, who's 32 years old. You have Carmelo Anthony, who's in his early 30s, and and he's you know had a lot of wear and tear with him. You've got Nene, uh, who's you know obviously in his early, early to mid 30s now, and then you've got Trevor Ariza. So you've got a lot of guys on this roster, even PJ Tucker that are early to mid-30s, and I just don't know if everybody's kind of overestimating how fast they're going to play. I think the efficiency and just being able to score is going to be the main thing with this offense. There's no chance that D'Antoni is going to slow it down, though. I mean, that's the thing with him. He wants it to always be up-tempo, always be fast, and that's what he expects of these guys, and they know that. So I would not expect there to be any changes in tempo with this team because that's just the style that they play. Um, now, can they keep up? I don't know. I mean, with everything you just said, maybe not. But but there's no way that that's not going to be part of what he wants to do. Also, we got to talk just for a second about the Astros because they're the best team in baseball. And just wanted to ask you uh, what you thought of their situation right now. I mean, I, I feel like my personal belief is that they need a closer maybe more than they need a third starter. You worry about Keuchel and McCullers and their health. And, th- and that's obviously a big deal, but I think you can go with them as the one-two and maybe one of the other guys that can be a, a number three guy, but I, I'm more concerned in a playoff situation in the closing situation with, with Ken Giles. I just don't have enough confidence in him. I'd like to get a guy that's a, a hardcore closer. I mean, you'd like to get both of them, obviously, but I guess my biggest concern is, is that because in the playoffs, it, the rotation sort of compacts a lot, and then you, you're going to have – Maybe a Brad Peacock that's going to be coming out of the bullpen, which is another arm for you. And you've got a lot of good middle relievers there with Will Harris and, and Chris Davinsky and things like that. So I don't know. Is, is, am I, do you think I'm off there? Or you, you feel like uh, still the a starter has got to be their priority? Yeah, I actually agree with you. I think that, that closers are the key right now because when healthy, your starters are so good. And I just I believe that you don't plan for what-ifs with injuries. I mean – that can go any either way. Sometimes that would make me look really smart, and sometimes that would make me look like I have no clue. But if it was me, I would plan for those guys to be healthy and those guys to be the ones that you're relying on, McCullers and Keuchel. So I'd look, I'd look at a reliever as well. But 
at this point with the Astros and the moves that they've made in the last two years, I'll probably trust whatever they come up with because there have been things I've questioned before and I you know, will eat my words with how well everything has turned out with just how well that team has been put together. There's a couple of things I wanted to talk to you about that we haven't had a chance to talk about, and you're in an interesting situation. I'm not sure if this is right. Are you, are you the first uh, female columnist in Houston Chronicle, sports columnist in Houston Chronicle history? Is that right? I think so, but I'm not sure. I know that there have been some just tremendous female writers that have been at this paper and at the Post uh, before me, but I, I don't know that any of them were columnists. But I, that's something I would really have to go back and look. So you're you're in a, an interesting situation. I think regardless, I, I don't. I think that's fairly unusual for Houston to have somebody in your position. And there's a couple of things that have, have happened since you started <laughs> since you started writing and, and doing your column. And one of the big things is the Baylor situation. And, and you know, it's it's one of those deals where with what's happened at Baylor and what's happened with that football program and all of the allegations of sexual assault and and, and everything that's happened there. Uh, how frustrating has it been for you to cover this story? Because it seems like we should be getting past this in, in, in our society and you w- see what happens up there. And what what has frustrated you most about it? You know, I guess I, d- I don't see it so much as a f- frustration on the job front because I feel like that's what I'm supposed to do. And, and that's why I'm in, in the position that I am is because I'm capable of doing those things. But And I do think that Baylor is trying to do right in a lot of ways. I just think there was so much under the surface. And so it just keeps coming out more and more and more. And it's it's terrible. They're not the only school that has these types of problems, unfortunately. And it it is one of those things when I talk to these victims and when I see these lawsuits, I want to bang my head against the wall because, you know, because of the world we live in. But on the flip side of that, I also see it as my job and my role and maybe the reason I've been put in this role is because I care a lot about those things and I care about bringing them to the forefront and bringing attention to them no matter how hard it can be on my end with you know the trolling and the emails I get and and just kind of the harassment I get from people for writing about it I still think um, you know I have this platform that's extremely important and I'm going to keep pushing on it. Can you talk a little bit about that? Because, you know, that's something that, you know, I've seen you address on social media and it's frustrating, even if you're a male out there, but as a female, it's, it's, I'm sure it's a hundred times as bad. What can be done? I mean, do you feel like as you, have you thought about this and and you've experienced it, what can um, the social media, can Facebook or Twitter do about this? You, You want free speech. That's what journalism is about. That's what you're profession is about but yet social media has brought out the very worst in people you know threats and and all sorts of things that you have to deal with and we all have to deal with when we're on social media yeah I mean I I really feel like some of those platforms have started finally to do some things um Twitter has has at least done things where I can choose not to let people respond to me that don't have an email address associated with their account. Just And a small thing like that goes a long way. Just being able to, to have some transparency in who's contacting you is helpful. Because that's a big part of trolling, it seems, is one person will make like 30 different accounts and then just come at you in 30 different ways because they have way too much time on their hands, I guess. Um, so eliminating some of those kind of things do help. But... 
I mean, it is true. I, you know, I love and hate Twitter all at once. I think it's a great tool for reporting. I think it's um, nice to be able to interact with the people that follow me. I appreciate that people follow me for sports and for news in Houston and that, you know, I have loyal readers. That means a, a great deal to me. On the flip side of that, the trolling for females in sports journalism is worse than it's ever been. I've had rape threats. I've had death threats. I've had just, you know, terrible things said to me. And that that's just the really bad stuff. There's also bad stuff. There's also just the get back in the kitchen or you should be gardening or what, you know, just the blatant sexist um, stuff thrown out at me. But that's what you get when people have access to you. So it's it's you get the good and the bad. And I'm I'm so grateful to have a following and have people that um, follow me for the right reasons and engage in really smart and intelligent conversations with me through that outlet that I've been able to sort of build a thick skin for all the other nonsense that's out there. And I don't know the way to fix it. I mean, the real way to fix it would be for me to get off Twitter, and I'm not going to do that. So... You know, hopefully, hopefully more people can think twice about what they're putting out there and and understand there's a human being on the other side of it. And I think a lot of people forget that even when they're not even just on social media, when they're emailing me or when they're posting something about me on the Internet or whatever. um, I think that there's a lot of people that forget that I'm actually a real person. (laughs) I'm not, you know, just just something for you to to beat up and walk all over. So I think a lot of people just forget that. And if if more people would think twice before they post something, I think you'd eliminate half the problem. Yeah, well, that, I think that goes well for a lot of different things in society and where we are right now. But let me ask you about just being a, a, a female columnist and, and being a, a female reporter in, in the sports world. What do you think that is going on that maybe people don't know about uh, something that uh, you might have to deal with that isn't something that maybe a male uh, sports reporter or male columnist has to deal with on a regular basis besides all that of course you know all kinds of stuff there's uh, I've been lucky in this market there's a lot of really good athletes and really good coaches in this market so I haven't run into it a ton here but uh, it has happened, and it, it's definitely happened in other places I've, um, you know, been out covering a game or whatever. I get a lot of things mansplained to me, you know. Like, if I ask the same question one of my male colleagues asks, I'll have, like, a 2-3 zone explained to me when I don't need that. <laughs> you know, it's – it's um. that can be a little bit frustrating just to, to have sports explained to me. Like, I'm – worked really hard in this business I obviously know about football and basketball you can you can mansplain soccer to me if you want like there's still some things there I don't understand but stuff like that is very frustrating um I think also just little things like having to really think about what I wear um and how I'm dressed and if if that's going to make anyone think that I'm inappropriate in any way or dressed down too much or dressed up too much or what does that mean? You know, it's just so much of that um, that I know my male colleagues don't have to think of nearly as much as I do. Um, down to things like, you know, it's it's totally acceptable and normal for a male sports reporter to maybe be out with agents or front, front office people from from uh, any sports team, like, out having drinks or whatever. And if I'm out doing that, it could show up on Twitter the next day that I'm having an affair with so-and-so when that's just not the case. So I have to think twice about all of that stuff, and I just don't think that men have to. And 
all that being said, I wouldn't trade my job for anything in the world. I, I love it. It's just kind of, it's funny some of the stuff that I have to think about, um, you know, that John McClain will never have to think about. And he <laughs> jokes with me about it all the time. And, and I have great coworkers and I truly do love this market because I know a lot of women um, in this profession do not have the support that I do in this market. I've always felt really good about a lot of the people around me um, and their respect for me and and have felt that. And you've got a lot other women, of course, in this market as well in very prominent positions. Sarah Barshop with ESPN who covers the Texans. Uh, you've got Allison Footer who does a lot of Astros stuff with MLB.com. And, of course, uh, Christy Reekin with Associated Press. That's got to be a huge help for you. Yeah, and we have a little bit of a sisterhood, definitely, in Houston. Those those are all women I really respect. Uh, Julia Morales with the Astros does a terrific job as well. Um, we have a sports designer at the Chronicle, Katie McInerney, who's just fabulous. She's new to town. Um, you know, among others, you could you could name a few more. We have a really good contingent of women in sports here in Houston, and I'm very proud to call all of them my friend. And, and, and I think it's great that... Uh, you know, we're all doing well and we're all doing things the right way on the job. And it, and it makes it harder for anyone to question any of us being there. We talked about the Baylor situation, but another situation that involved assault was with your alma mater, OU, and Joe Mixon. Now he's uh, in training camp with the Cincinnati Bengals. How did you look at how Oklahoma handled that situation? And what did you think that they did right and what they did wrong? And it, it doesn't look good, you know, on the surface. And everybody just looks at uh, what Oklahoma did and said, well, that's typical sports. You know, he could play football. So, of course, you know, he, he got barely a slap on the wrist. Yeah, and, and I've written about him several times this year, too. I wrote about him when uh, OU came to town to play UH before we ever saw a tape or anything. I knew enough at that point to know that as an OU fan, I le- I went to that game, he scored the first touchdown, and I left because I, I found myself unable to cheer for him. Um, I don't think OU did anything right at all, and I've let everyone who will listen to me there know that. I think that he should have been kicked off the team immediately. They saw the tape. They knew what happened. Um, he, you know... I, here's what I always get. I got this about the Oregon State pitcher recently, too, um, and, and other guys that I've commented on that I think they should be released from the team immediately when they um, have broken a law and, and have done these terrible things. I always get it thrown back in my face. Well, don't you believe in second chances? Sure, I believe in second chances. I don't believe that your only second chance is to play football or to play baseball. I feel like being a scholarship athlete, um, and being put in the position to be a role model comes with the responsibility of of doing that, of, of having that character, of doing things the right way. You can still go on, uh, clean your life up, and be a good person and do it in another avenue. But I don't think we need to put you in the position to be a role model. You know, playing sports is a privilege that not everyone has. And, and Joe Mixon should have absolutely been dismissed. And no one should have drafted him. And and I feel the same way about the Oregon State pitcher that that just had all his issues. Um, you know, I don't I don't think that guy should end up in Major League Baseball. Let's go to OU on the field because Bob Stoops is out. Uh, what did you think of uh, Bob Stoops leaving at this point? 
Is there a good time to leave when you're a head coach of a college program? It seems like maybe the, the, the month that he picked might have been the best month uh, to, to, to leave because you're dealing with if you leave around recruiting season, everybody goes, what are you doing leaving around recruiting season? And that can cause a headache. And just give me your thoughts on Bob Stute's career as well. Yeah, you know, he's he's always said that he wasn't going to coach forever. And so I wasn't I wasn't super surprised. The timing was a little strange, but then you kind of look back at – Lincoln Riley being the front runner for some jobs and and not taking any of them and you kind of wonder if this was planned long before University of um, Houston one of those right. jobs of course yep I and I think it was I think he knew that he was about to become <laughs> the head coach I think oh you played that really well just in terms of of the kind of PR side of it to be able to make all of that happen in one day there was no coaching search there was no drama it was it was just easy and as far as Stoops career you know I like that I like the loyalty of staying with a program for such a long time for building something special and I think he did that at OU and um I'd like to see more of that I mean there's so many coaching changes every year it seems and I like kind of that stay somewhere for a long time, build something special, put down roots, become part of that community. And and that's what he did. And I think that's special for that area and for that school and that he left at a great time where he's going to have a pretty good reputation. You know, there he's going to be remembered. Well, there's definitely some hiccups. The Joe Mixon thing will always be one of those for me. But I think overall he had a great career there and, you know, wish him the, the best of luck moving forward. And I think it will be really interesting to see uh, what Riley does there. So um, I'd like to see that. I'd like to see Major Applewhite do well at UH and stay for a while and not make that a, a stepping stone into something else. I'd like to see some of these guys get somewhere and put down roots and stick around. And, and OU, though, was they were one of the sort of vocal ones, if I remember right, against U of H getting into the Big 12, even though it, in the end it was I think everybody was probably on board with it because they were all kind of watching their pocketbooks in that decision. I, I think, too, that, that whole thing was there was a lot of presidents feeling one way and maybe athletic directors feeling another way. So I don't know. Yeah. That's, there's a lot there that stayed behind the scenes that we just don't know about. I have, I have some theories that I can't back up in any way. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll just finish with uh, the Texans because uh, we're still a couple of weeks away from training camp as we're recording this, but uh, it's coming up quickly. You got a chance a little bit to see them in mini camp and OTAs and that kind of thing. What are you looking forward to see from from them and, and hear about them in training camp? I mean, everybody's watching the quarterback situation, but is there something else that you're you're really focusing on and uh, you feel like, uh, well, that that could be a column uh, in a couple of weeks? Yeah, you know, I uh, obviously the quarterbacks, you can't talk about that enough, and and I want to see how Watson is uh, progressing, um, like everyone else. But I also want to see what Savage is doing. I mean, he, we know he's the guy, so. I'm curious to see how he's handling his role, not just as a quarterback, but as a leader vocally on this team. Um, and then I'm I'm just intrigued by the defense. I really hope everyone can stay healthy because I've really wanted to see this defense together um, since we've had kind of this core group. And, you know, you had Clowney injured and then you had Watt injured. I, I want to see those two guys specifically together. I think that's uh, I, that's going to be tough to beat defensively. So I'll be keeping an eye on that. And then, you know, there's some of the veteran guys that you just want to see how 
they adjust to the changes and um, you know, we know that O'Brien's going to do a lot more of the play calling. So I'm curious to see how that goes. I mean, there's just a lot. Look, anytime we start getting to the point where we're talking about the NFL season, we can make a really long list of everything that we're going to look for. And this is going to be a, a big year for the Texans, whether it's good or bad. I don't know, but things, this is going to be a defining season for them if everyone can stay healthy and we can see what they can do. What What do you think of Savage? Do you feel like uh, you saw something there from him at the end of the season or you, you just know, don't know? I just, I just didn't see enough to, to really form an opinion. We just didn't get to see enough from the guy. I like the guy. I think he's sharp. I think he's nice. I think that he's the kind of guy you want to see him do well. But I didn't see enough from him to have any clue if he can really lead this team um, the way that he needs to for them to be better. Well, I just I'm looking at my phone right now. I, I, Wojnarowski has not tweeted about <laughs> Carmelo Anthony. I think we made it through this interview. So <laughs> with, without that, Jenny, uh, anything else that you're working on? Uh, just tell people how to uh, check you out with the Chronicle and, and uh, where to find you. Yeah, I mean, we'll definitely be doing a ton of Astros and Rockets for the foreseeable future. I will be at tra- uh, part of training camp, so I'll um, kind of in the middle of it. I'll be there for a week. And you can follow me on Twitter at Jenny Dial Creech. I post everything there every day. So uh, definitely keep an eye out. Yeah, John McClain, Aaron Wilson will be there, of course, with full coverage at, at Texans training camp in a couple of weeks. And uh, it's going to be different with uh, the Texans not in Houston for the first time in their history for training camp. So that's going to be uh it's going to be something that we're going to have to rely on you guys more than ever to be our eyes and ears. No and what's pressure. Going to... <laughs> well, thanks so much for joining us, Jenny. Always fun. For more interviews, subscribe to Houston Sports Talk on iTunes, or if you're an Android user, download our free Houston Sports Talk app in the Google Play Store. We're also available on Stitcher or the TuneIn app, and our website is HoustonSportsTalk.net.